Good morning, and the conversation continues here on 94 WIPO Sports Radio as we ease on into WIP Sunday, next Sunday, Mother's Day. So this Sunday, we've got just a book for her that you might want to buy her, or a book you might want to read as well. That book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. So with that in mind, let me welcome my guest, Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, author of Mommy Burnout. Good morning, Dr. Ziegler. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Mommy burnout, I think, is something every woman who's had kids can understand, and every man who's fathered kids has no conception of. Do you agree? I think I think that dads know that something's going on, but they're not quite sure what it is. A lot of women who have kids, they're somebody's wife, they're somebody's daughter, and suddenly, after nine months, there's somebody's mother. And they wonder whatever happened to them. Is that what it's about? It is. And it's kind of a, it's like a gradual process. So at first, you know, there's so much excitement about becoming a parent for many people. And then they do. And before they know it, that women sort of lose themselves. They lose their identity. They lose Sometimes they're friends. There's a lot of loneliness we know that they might feel. Their relationships start to go. So their time gets spread so thin, but where they put their energy tends to be really focused on their kids. If they have to balance work, then work comes second, and then sort of they come pretty close to last in addition to their relationships and their friendships. So that's really what I just started seeing and wanted to write about. And how does it manifest itself in your practice? So usually people come in to see me, really have a child, I have a child and family focused practice. So they come in for that reason. Maybe they're concerned about something with their kid. And um, at the first session, we just start talking about them and what's happening with them, what's their stress level, what do they do for self-care. And before you know it, sometimes moms are like, man, maybe I'm the one that really needs to be here or I want to be here. And... That's just really the way it gets started. So then we start talking, we start meeting, and when I start asking those questions, they really start to realize just how much they um, haven't been focusing on themselves for a long time. And how does that seem to manifest itself in women? So what that looks like is... Women have a hard time. It starts off by looking like maybe sleep gets affected, right, because they're so concerned about whatever's going on with their kids that they have a loss of sleep. They are more irritable with their kids. They snap at them. They have um, a real lack of energy. So emotional and physical exhaustion is kind of a cornerstone of burnout, and so you know, really what burnout is, is emotional and physical exhaustion that leads to a sense that a person's not doing a good job. So I originally got this definition from really just looking at the definition of burnout, which is usually referred to like in a work setting, and then took that and said, gosh, this just sounds an awful lot like what is happening in motherhood. So, you know, just a lot of little things like having headaches, having, being so tired all the time, probably reaching for junk food or, you know, eating scraps off of your kids' plates, like not really taking care of yourself and, you know, not maybe telling friends like you're, you're too busy all the time. 
you know, and so, and women do that to each other all the time, you know, how are you, oh, I'm so crazy busy, how are you, and the other mom will be like, oh, same thing here, I'm so busy, and then before you know it, you know, nobody's connecting, they're like, okay, well, see you later, because you're busy, I'm busy, and they keep moving, so when I, when I think to myself how a partner or husband can help somebody or can help the mother of their children with this, like, Re- even giving them this book or talking about this book with them really will get a mom in a space of like, oh, yeah, this is what's going on with me. Like they understand, they get me. It's not written from a way that makes a woman feel judged or bad about herself at all because, like you said, it's a really gradual process. How much, though, of mommy burnout at least begins after the delivery when all the hormones start running amok? So... I would say that initially what goes on after uh, after a woman has a baby, you know, that whole, like, the emotional and physical exhaustion and the hormones, which make, you know, can make moods go up and down, you know, that's something that we look at within the first year. Um, and so that's either, you know, just an adjustment to becoming a mom or maybe, you know, postpartum depression even. So some people have said, gosh, you know, burnout and postpartum depression sound like they are, you know, somewhat similar, but there are nuances that make them different. But generally, I think a woman goes, they, a woman can be in burnout sometimes in the first year, but it's a little harder to decipher. I would say after the first year is when you start to realize, like, because burnout is chronic stress. So there's stress during the first year, then it can become chronic, and then I think Somewhere around the end of the first year, you start to really look at the patterns that would make this look like burnout because it does it does take some time to kind of adjust and adjust your hormones and all of that. So I think it's safe to say that after the first year, if you're still having some of these symptoms, it's something to look at as potentially not just an adjustment to motherhood. And then there are the husbands, bless their hearts, and I am one. Um, <laughs> who tried to be supportive during the pregnancy and the delivery and during that first year while her body and her mind recover, shall we say. But at the same yeah. time, are looking forward to the resumption of marital relations. Yeah. And he comes to her and she says, get away from me, fool. Mm-hmm. That's hard for the husband and for the wife. I, You know, I totally agree. And I think it's one of those things that, we really have to, um, why burnout really needs to be addressed because sex, you know, when we look at how often couples are ha- are being sexually intimate, um, you know, we're down to averaging about a, once a month, maybe twice a month. Um, and women are so tired and their bodies have been, you know, like there's all these different stages of why a woman might lose her sexual drive. Some of it can be hormonal. Some of it can be just, oh, my gosh, I have a new baby, and I'm exhausted. Get away. Some of it is, interestingly, you know, our bodies, once once a woman's body becomes pregnant, it all of a sudden really is sort of this home and actual living space for your baby. So breasts become, like, utilitarian. It's, it's something useful. It's to provide life or you know, nourishment for my child. And 
you know, if there was a natural birth, you know, women just go through this huge adjustment period. So then it's like there goes a period of time for women where they just feel like my body, like don't touch my body. My body is mine or my body is the baby's now. It's not for this. And so for some couples, for many couples, it takes a long time, it can take a long time to rebound and get interested. And for a lot of other couples, the interest doesn't seem to come back. And I think it's at that point where, in part, burn, like evaluating burnout can be very helpful because is it burnout? Is it a problem in your marriage? You know, it, what is it? Is it hormonal? Is it something that a woman needs to go to the doctor for? So I think it's a delicate topic, but I think if a man can approach his wife or partner in a way that's like not starting a fight and not being big and judgmental and just sort of saying like, hey, you know, I, I've heard about this book or I've heard this woman talk and she was saying that, you know, maybe there's some other things we can look at when you don't want to have sex anymore. How can I help you with this? Like it can change the conversation and how it goes um, versus being frustrated, maybe having arguments and then eventually giving up. That's what that's what the dads say to me when I meet with them. They say, I used to try for a really long time and, and now I just, like I give up. So that's what we're trying to avoid. What do you find brings a mommy or a couple to your office? So what brings them is still usually something to do with their kid. Um, so I would see parents for anything from if they have young kids, like, you know, potty training, sleep training, um, you know, not getting maybe not getting along with friends at school, and then they start getting older, and it's a lot of anxiety. Um, so we're really seeing an epidemic of anxiety um, in kids and in women. And um, it's the number one diagnosed issue um, in actually both categories. And so that's a very common reason in childhood and adolescence as well. And so when they come in, I just look at everything as a system. So how's the system? So how's the family system operating? And um, you know, checking in with everyone. And those would be opportunities for, you know, the dad sometimes to say, oh, you know, well, my wife, she doesn't really ever seem to have time for me or I feel so bad. She's always running around. She seems so stressed. And she snaps at us and she puts a lot of pressure on herself. She feels like she needs to be the perfect mom. I tell her all the time she doesn't have to be, but she feels that she has to be. So that's like the dad's perspective very often, and then the woman's perspective is, you don't understand, you don't understand what I'm going through, I'm trying to, let's say it's a working mom, I'm trying to work, I'm trying to still try to figure out how to cook homemade meals, I'm trying to, you know, raise our kids the best I can, put money on the table, you know, those kinds of things, and so it's like what winds up happening is as I'm trying to figure out what's happening in their whole family, their marital relationship and, like, personal stress comes up. Um, and we really want to look at that because that's essentially what the book is about is stress. And it's a term that we use very loosely. You know, I'm stressed, you're stressed, everyone's stressed. But what we have is a whole kind of culture of stressed-out parents raising stressed-out kids. And that is what, you know, the book ends with in Chapter 10 um, is My Child Burned Out. You know, we know we have a culture right now of kids who feel a tremendous amount of pressure. We see depression rates up, anxiety rates up, 
and even suicide rates dramatically up over the last decade um, <clears throat> in children. And I say children because the category even for looking at suicide starts like, 10 to 14 is now a category that has gone up like 70% in the last decade. So we know that the stress is not something that we need to accept. And that's probably the ultimate message of the book is we this isn't funny. There's a lot of movies and jokes and things like that that joke around about motherhood and, you know, how messy it is and those kind of things. And it's actually not funny, though, because we really now see what's happening when you stressed out parents raise stressed out kids. So, and a lot of the solutions for this are things that don't require, not everybody needs therapy even, not everybody needs something like a vacation it's not really about that it's truly about you know things that you can do or just have to do with social connection taking care of yourself first understanding the values of friendship um you know looking at how much time we spend on social media and what a time drag that is so there's a lot of just things that don't cost money don't have you don't have to go to therapy for that make really big differences in our physical and emotional health now, a lot of women were raised in front of a television or with a television in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, there were role models like Mrs. Brady telling them, this is how you should be the perfect mother. And if you're not the perfect mother, something's wrong, even though Mrs. Brady had Alice and you don't. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the level and like even back then, the level of feeling like you had to be perfect, at least – so back then, let's just stay there. Look, we could even start with June Cleaver. So if you started even a little earlier, if you look at sort of these some quintessential families over time that we that role, role modeled through media, um, yeah, there was a sense of like, hey, I got this all together, and this is a like a loving, lovely process. And where the shift was was really um, interestingly the equal rights movement. When women have had and now have so many more options for education and employment and can be, you know, have opportunities to be pretty much anything that a man can be, what happened was we feel like we need to take advantage of these things. And so back then, yes, being a homemaker, they made it look like, oh, my gosh, you can be the most, you know, amazing homemaker. Um, And maybe that was, you know, pressure for women, but I would say now um, pressure has gone to perfection. Like, you can work and be whatever, the CEO of a company, so you should do that while you're also the perfect homemaker and a loving wife and spouse. And so the combination, it's just, it's just getting more and more intense in terms of images and messages that women are getting around all of the things that they can and maybe should accomplish. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Dr. Sherry Ziegler, psychologist, author. Her new book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. Now, Dr. Ziegler will be back in just a bit. Got to run a few commercials. The WIP time. 716. And we're back. We're back with WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Dr. Sherry Ziegler, psychologist author. Her new book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. The Perfect Gift for the Mommy in Your Life. All right. 
we talked about June Cleaver and Mrs. Brady not being very helpful. How about the more mommies of today? I'm thinking of somebody like Roseanne or Katie in The American Housewife. Are they more helpful? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that probably the amount of time, let's say, that there's, let's say there's a positive role model on TV, I think that certainly can be helpful, you know, to have a mom who doesn't have it all together and shows the really messy sides of her life. But the problem is that women today are spending much, much more time online and uh, looking at other people's Instagram feeds or Facebook. And although I know we're getting the message out, like, you do realize that's just people's highlights. Those aren't real life moments for the most part. Um, and certainly people don't tend to showcase their lowlights. I still think that that dominates more than seeing, you know, even a positive role model on TV. So it's the probably one of the big things. It's just the quantity of time that we spend online and on social media that's really dominating how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our bodies or our kids and their accomplishments or what, ho what house you live in, what car you drive. Those are the kinds of things that women feel a lot of pressure around. Okay. Then there's the job. Most jobs are not very supportive of mommies, are they? Well, that's right. I mean, you know, when I was talking about how simple some of the solutions can be, this one is, you know, a, a simple yet can be complex topic in terms of we know that one of the things that could lead to women reducing stress and being productive in both their home and work lives are flexible work schedules. And the fact that women oftentimes do not have that, it causes them to feel like they have to choose between working at home or working outside of the home. And so that's one of the things that it's really a systemic issue. It's not just, you know, what's happening just, you know, at a woman and at home with her kids. It really is a matter of, like, how do we support women as a whole? And one of the ways is really if the workplace um, you know, that's why there's a lot, there's a big push for women to have leadership positions, all of that, because if the workplace can have more balanced, more balanced management and leadership roles, you have more moms in those kinds of positions that understand women's issues and what they need, then you're able to provide women with the kind of environments in which they can thrive and they can do, they can work happily and then they can come home and have that balance um, because we all know that women work multiple shifts. They work in the morning, they work, you know, throughout the day when their kids are at school and they're after school, they either still at work or with their kids. And then when their kids go down, they go back to work. Um, and whether that's, you know, cleaning, cleaning the house or getting back online and, you know, working on reports or sending out emails, you know, there's just chunks of the day that um, women are productive. So that's, it's, a key, it's a key issue in this. Absolutely. Um, now, some companies offer family medical leave where you don't have to lie to the boss anymore and say you're sick when the kid is sick. You can stay home for the kid. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, that's true, um, 
However, what's interesting is this fall I was doing a talk on this with a group of um, all-female attorneys. And when we got to talking about this topic, um, one of the women said, you know, I am still in a position where if I want to continue to grow in my firm or become a partner, if I duck out at 2.45 to go pick up my kids, or if I leave like at noon to go take my kid to the dentist or you know pick them up because they're sick, I feel that that's looked down upon. I think that's still, that's a ding against me. And the male partners or the male associates in the office, they do not generally do that. It's the women and, and we think it holds us back. And, and, and to be honest, that was still for some reason a little bit of a surprise to me how much every woman's head was nodding yes around the table. Um, you know, when like maybe one or two people said, you know, I agree that's for the, for the most part, that's true. However, I have a great boss or I have a boss, you know, who's a male and he has, you know, three or four kids and he gets it and he helps out at home too. So all of a sudden you start to realize that there's a lot of difference in the workplace depending on who's in a leadership position is that looked down upon, you know, or do they understand that, yeah, you're leaving early because you have to pick up your kid. Um, to do something, but I trust that you're probably going to work till midnight tonight to get done what you need to do. So there's a there's still a huge difference in how that's treated, and for some reason that was a surprise to me um, at first to see how much they felt like, yeah, that that plan doesn't really work so great, not in my work setting at least. Employer sponsored daycare is that a help? Absolutely a help. I mean, daycare costs are so astronomical that people often, well, I should say women, often have to fe- often feel like I basically work to pay for daycare, so why don't I just stay home and not do this? Or when, you know, there's, there are daycares that are in close proximity to kids and to the kids and the parents being together, you know, that's something that when you look at productivity and happiness rates in the workplace, make a huge difference. And, you know, of course not every place can do that, but I'm starting to see, you know, millennials really looking at ways to solve these problems, and they're even creating in some cities, you know, shared workspaces. So even just when you work for yourself or you have a small business where there's actually, you know, a daycare right there in the co-working space, um, those things make a huge difference, a huge difference even on time management popping in and seeing your kid at lunch, that helps so much with the guilt that women often feel and to have a sense that your kids are well taken care of and see that for yourself. I mean, I can't say enough about those kinds of things, having sponsored daycares and flexible work schedules and a culture that that trusts that you will get your work done and that can be during, you know, outside of the nine to five. It's, it's huge. Okay. Um... But then, even with all of that, I think there's got to be some degree of guilt. That daycare worker's raising my child. I'm not raising my child. What's wrong with me? Absolutely. Guilt is one of the, one of the predominant feelings that once I'm really in it with working with women, we really try to manage um, because if there is, it, it, guilt is just all over the place. It can be guilt around when they are young and, oh, my gosh, who's raising my kid? That's definitely early mom, young mommy guilt. Um, then the kids start to go into school and they start to get, you know, 
sort of busy with their own schedules and mom is busy with her schedule. Um, and because oftentimes setting the line now with technology is very hard. It's for a lot of women, you know, five o'clock or whenever they're with their family, like work never stops. And that's definitely a part of the burnout feeling, like nothing ever stops. Mothering never stops. Work never stops. It's not like, okay, my shift is over and I don't have to do anything until I go back to work tomorrow. For many women, that's just absolutely not the case. So the guilt lies everywhere, and I will say in pretty much every age and stage, and even with teenage kids, um, mommy guilt is still there because whatever it might be, did I not get my kid into the best school? My kid doesn't have friends. What did I do wrong? My kid's struggling to learn or they're not getting good grades. Um, the guilt is sort of always there and not helpful, actually, to experience. And then there's the husband, the husband who probably grew up in a much more traditional home where she did all the housework and he read the paper at night after dinner. Yeah, I mean, I think there are legit, you know, when I do this, I, I go around and I talk to groups about um, mommy burnout. And I will say the dads have an interesting response to me. And one of the things they say is, where's the daddy burnout? Why aren't you addressing dads? We feel stressed too because... We don't get to anymore come home, you know, the house is perfect, the kids are ready, I have a nice home-cooked meal waiting for me, and then I relax. Like, that's not any longer really the role of dads anymore. So now dads are expected to contribute to housework and raising kids and doing homework, and when they get home, there's not, you know, they're not kicking back and relaxing. Um, and so it has had a trickle-down effect where, of course, a woman's stress and her lack of feeling like maybe she can juggle everything is now on to dads. Um, and so I will say, dads, the men have been very vocal um, with me about this and wanting to be represented and wanting to be understood that they're, with their changing role, they feel, they feel more stressed themselves. But how about the man who may do the dishes and feels if he did the dishes, he's done his share. Right, right. I mean, and that's where, you know, what I say is we are at a time right now um, in 2018 where the modern family looks so different in every household, right? We have, we have same-sex parents. We have more adoption. We have single moms raising kids. I mean, the just what the average family looks like is uh, really changing. It's hard to say average family anymore. Um, and so there are certainly, there are, you know, I think men and maybe even women that want, they want to have still a traditional marriage. And um, it, that's certainly possible. I think that's possible when they talk about it, probably prior to having kids. And I think that's really important. It's also hard. You can talk all you want before you have a family, before you're even married and have kids. You can talk about how you want it to be, but once it actually starts, it can change. So communication is so huge, and it sounds like such a basic piece of you know, advice. Oh, communicate, communicate. But I can't. It's, it's the foundation. It is the foundation of your family and your marriage, um, you know, to really say, hey, you know, what's let's say for the dad, I want a traditional marriage. I want you to stay home 
um, and raise our kids, and I want, you know, to go to work, and, you know, divvying those things up. I think a woman, she just might struggle because, again, she has all of these opportunities that are available to her. So I think it's really important to, even if it's, even if it changes over time, to constantly check in with each other and say, you know, how are you liking staying at home, or how's it going for you, and those kinds of things, because having a quote-unquote traditional kind of marriage um, is not always the norm. And so women, you know, when they're doing something that's different from maybe other women that might feel lonely, so just really checking in and making sure, and I'm all for that. If If you want a traditional marriage and all of that, you have to just own it, and that's what I say to women. Um, constantly get second-guessing whether you're doing enough or whether you're clear about your purpose. Um, you know, for some women, that's just what they'll say. It's just sort of a modern view, like, I don't feel like I'm contributing to society or I'm not using my education and my degree if I stay home. Um, or I don't have a lot of other people around me that have traditional marriages, so I feel lonely. So those are the kinds of issues that she might face. So just constantly talking and checking in about them are so important. Then you may have her mother or his mother laying their expectations on you. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, the in-laws or your own mom. Um, absolutely. And that's the thing is just, you know, one of the things is we are raising kids across the country from our parents in many, many cases. So any notion of, you know, having your family maybe nearby your extended family and therefore having help and, you know, having built-in babysitters and, you know, just having support and people to talk to on a daily basis um, is not the norm. It's not the majority anymore. So now you might, because, again, of, you know, having these opportunities with work, you might be raising your family in even another part of the country. So you don't have that. And so then when they do come to visit, they've got all sorts of opinions about things. And that's the key is really being very, very open with your communication and feeling confident about what you're doing because if you're not confident in what you're doing, all of a sudden when you hear other people's opinions, it's going to be way more conflict and way more tense when you're like, I don't know, maybe they do have a point. Maybe this is crazy. Maybe, maybe, all these things, and it just causes tension. And you're listening to... WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Dr. Sherry Ziegler. Dr. Ziegler is author, is author of the new book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthy Children in the Process. Now, Dr. Ziegler, stay with me. Got to run a few commercials here. We'll be back in just a bit with WIP Time 736. We're back and into the home stretch here on WIP Sunday with Dr. Sherry Ziegler, her new book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. My name's Peter Solomon. Sherry, what if your child has a health problem or some other special need? Really affects mom's stress levels as well as just a strain on the marriage. So when there is a child who has some sort of special need, there is you know, emotional strain, financial strain, time strains. You have to get them to different therapies, different doctor's appointments. You often feel like you are really 
alone in the process, and that's also one of those times where sometimes if a family can't understand and or, you know, they don't understand, that's a, something that moms of kids with special needs feel unsupported because they're like, well, you know, when my mother's around or my in-laws are around, they say, well, why do you let them do that or why do you let them get away with that? And there's a whole host of really particular issues, and having a kid with a special need is not something that's incredibly rare anymore. And so that is when, you know, we often look at, like, even divorce rates are much higher for families with kids with special needs. So this is where having that connection within your marriage and having support outside of your marriage is even more important than even for just a typical, um, you know, a typical family. Okay. A couple comes into your office. You sense that they've got a case of mommy burnout going on. How do you intervene? So the first thing I do is really ask them a lot of questions. Um, I want to make sure that they aren't suffering from more of a mental health condition like depression. And so ask a lot of questions. If possible, if they do have a partner or a husband, uh, some, a spouse, um, I usually ask them to come in because I want to hear directly from the other person um, what they're seeing. So I gather a lot of information. Um, and again, the information that I'm gathering is lots around, besides their family history, but it's just lots around stress management, self-care, what do you do for fun, how do you handle stress, how do you eat, when do you eat, are you an emotional eater, how do you sleep, how many hours, like all those kinds of questions. Um, and then we really start to focus in on the areas that I'm very realistic with them. Um, you know, where do we need to start? Because in many of our lives, if we really looked, did an inventory like that, we probably need to do a lot of different things. We probably need to work out more and we need to eat better and all these things that we know. Um, so we really take a look at what's going to be most impactful. And I will say what I find um, most is we need to take care of the feeling of being alone. Um, that is what I have identified as one of the number one reasons um, that people go into burnout. Um, and even this week alone, you know, there was a study published that I already knew about, but it got a lot of press, which was, you know, we're looking at that kids, kids, young adults ages, you know, like 18 to 22 are lonelier than even geriatric populations. Um, and that study was released this week. And for me, because I've been looking at happiness, and then looking at loneliness, I'm aware of the trends. And it's a really real issue, uh, people not being connected. So typically, we start there. It could be, again, within the marriage or with friendships. But we look at that. We look at ways that they can actually make time and make time for themselves a priority and make time for their, connect, you know, like their friendships a priority. Um, if they're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom and they're struggling with that, they think the grass is greener on the other side, we really focus in and talk about, you know, pros and cons and of both because what I want is eventually for women to feel like they are as settled, comfortable, and have purpose in whatever it is that they're doing because having that guilt, just like we were talking about, really serves nobody at all. It's never going to get you to a better place. Um, and then I would say that we look at, you know, truly look like, social media and how much time we're spending online because that's where the time's going to come from. So if there's someone listening right now and they're going, oh, man, but where's the, t where's the time going to come from? Trust me, there are hours to be had because we are spending so many hours online 
and on social media that if we, we reduce that time, I love the idea of like digital detoxes, if we do reduce that time, you will find at least an extra hour every day that you can devote to whatever area in your life needs the most attention. But isn't digital time important because it gives you a connection to someone else, even if it's through the computer or phone? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because it's interesting. What the research is really showing is that we are more digitally connected yet less emotionally connected than ever. Um, it is not a replacement. It's really not. So where, where I see that it can be helpful, let's just say specific to moms um, and maybe some dads, is let's say there's like a certain really specific group you belong to. Let's go back to you have a child with a special need in some way. Um, maybe they have autism or they have Down syndrome or dyslexia or something like that. Let's say belonging to some kind of online group or a Facebook group can be very helpful. It can be like a community that you don't have in person um, and, you know, a place where you can throw out questions or, or get support or just want to read other people's stories. I think that can make you feel more connected in that way. But ultimately, what would make a real difference in our actual stress levels would be to take one of those relationships offline and meet in person. There is something that even happens hormonally when two people meet in person and there's a positive exchange going on. Oxytocin, our love hormone, actually does increase. So that does not happen online. We get quick dopamine hits online. So what we do is, you know, when, when it dings or you get, you know, a notice that someone's replied, you get a really quick hit of excitement. Um, and then it drops back down. And so what obviously what happens, as you can imagine, is you need more quick hits to get that jolt of excitement, that energy rush. And so that's why it's addictive. That's why we spend so many hours online because there's this cycle going on. It's not too much different from kids playing video games that makes us feel like, oh, how many likes did I get? Who commented on my post? Who replied to this? And so we're, we're, it's what we're doing. We're distracting ourselves every day by going back and checking, checking, checking. You don't, that's not the same sort of experience you have when you're sitting face-to-face -face with somebody. And we, so, so that's a long answer to your question, just there's no replacement right now, even through the research and certainly for me anecdotally, um, for face-to-face -face contact. Like online doesn't replace that, but it can supplement it when you don't have that. Most specifically, what can the partner do? So I think if there are dads and husbands listening to this, truly the first thing I would say is try to recognize what's going on, try to address it in a way that's supportive um, and not judgmental. And it, I will say the men that have read this have been, like, relieved that there's something that they can refer to of what's going on because sometimes they're like, where is my wife? Like, where's my fun-loving wife? Um, but I think the third thing is they can talk about ways that they can support their wives because a male tendency is to solve problems. So if, you know, right now a husband's listening to this, he's thinking, like, okay, I want to solve this problem or I've been trying to solve this problem. And so what actually is more helpful is for a man not to go into what is his natural mode, which is to solve problems, but rather to ask questions. How can I support you? What can I do? I want to help. 
I want you to feel better. I want you to take care better, take better care of yourself or sleep better. So what I would just say is it's a small nuance, but instead of jumping in and just sort of say like, okay, well, I'll take the kids tonight. Um, instead of saying that, like really have a conversation around like, what can I do to support you? And then just listen. That's like, would be amazing. That would be a great Mother's Day present in and of itself just to kind of open that conversation and then just listen and, and try not to jump into thinking you know what, what the solution is. One of my guilty pleasures is watching um, a show called The View on network television during the uh-huh. afternoon. Um, and one of the things the women around the table usually say is there's nothing sexier than seeing a man doing housework. <laughs> okay. You agree? I mean, I'm saying I'm raising this question for the man who's missing sex. So she said, "Get away!" Yeah, who's missing sex and wants to have more sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think that the man who's missing sex and wants to have more needs to think about two things. Um, one of them is what I find in a clinical practice is that women want affection still, and what they feel like is that when their husbands are affectionate, put their arm around them on the couch, hold their hands, want to cuddle, they're like, oh, I know where this is headed to. I know this is headed to that he wants to have sex. And uh, while most men will laugh and say, well, yeah, that would be nice, um, the compromise is just know that women still like to be treated with affection and they still maybe want some flirting and they don't often feel great about themselves like maybe their body or they think they've gained too much weight or whatever it is so make making your wife feel wanted and sexy and like you want to just cuddle with her at times that do not lead to sex are a really big tip because then you relax the woman relaxes a little bit um, and doesn't feel tense and doesn't feel like she has to turn around and tell you how she has a headache. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing I would say is <clears throat> I'd say for a mom, another another sort of aphrodisiac besides seeing a man do, doing house chores is taking care of their kids. So that is also on on the list of, you know, they come home and everyone's tired and, you know, they really pitch in and help with the kids. I think that that can also be a turn-on for women, you know, when their stress levels are down. But just realize that the reason why that's a turn-on is because it helps them and their stress levels come down. So it's really, really important for the men listening to the show right now to know what specific area your wife would love help in. Because maybe for me it is doing housework and dishes, and for the next mom it might be giving baths to the kids. For the next mom it might be, you know, I don't know, go do the yard work or go do all those honeydew list items that I have for you that you haven't gotten to. So they're going to be different. One size doesn't fit all here, and that's why asking and not assuming is so important. And I'd like to say thank you to Dr. Um, Cheryl Ziegler, her new book, Mommy Burnout, How to Reclaim Your Life and Raise Healthier Children in the Process. Dr. Ziegler, do you have a website? I do. People can go on mommyburnout.com or drcherylziegler.com to read more about me and, and the book Mommy Burnout. Thank you, Dr. Ziegler. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And thank you to all the women out there for what you do. You're exceptional, and we love you. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill, always interesting and provocative discussion in the living room. Your opinion, Sunny's reactions, I know I'll be listening. I want to say thank you as well to Phil Jackson, this morning's producer, 
and to Ann Tidman Solomon, my dear wife, mother of my children, and associate producer. Couldn't do it without you. There's nothing left to say, but have a happy Mother's Day next week, and see you soon. <laughs>